Welcome to the Everything Early Childhood podcast designed for approved providers, nominated supervisors and other childcare leaders. This fun, lighthearted and very serious podcast features weekly episodes on strategy, advice and conversations with fascinating and inspiring people from across our sector. Join the journey and have access to the tools and inspiration you need to create high performing childcare businesses. Let's get started. Hello, friends. Welcome to another episode of Everything Early Childhood. My name is Lisa Brown and I am the founder of Platinum Education. So this is a show where we dive deep into the latest developments of education and child development. So today we're going to be discussing the sector-wide change of nothing other than the Early Years Learning Framework 2.0 and the implications that this will have on your early learning service. So what we're going to do is we're going to be discussing my thoughts, perspectives, and just sharing a little bit about the changes to the framework. So if you're there really time poor, um, I am going to condense this hopefully into a 20 minute, I'm aiming for only 20 minutes, a little episode today just to go over um, the thoughts, my thoughts, ideas, and what it means for educators, children, and families. So before I get started, um, it feels like it's been so long since I've um, come and spoken to you all, but literally been a week. It's been a massive week. Um, I've been on the Gold Coast, um, visiting centres, hosting conferences, um, and visiting some amazing clients. So it's been an amazing journey working on some big projects behind the scenes with companies to implement systems and processes, um, starting all the way from the beginning and building that structure within that organisation. So that it is clear to everyone what their roles and responsibilities are. So really excited to be working on those behind the scenes and to get all of those educate all of those organizations operating smoothly. So I'm sitting here, just got my notes um, around EYLF 2.0. So let's get started. I hope you're all well um, wherever you are today listening to this episode. So um, let's get started. So we did discuss this in our last Directors Network group and I promised that I would come online. We ran out of time to finish. So I promised I'd come online, record an episode and we will keep sharing different resources and things um, in our socials to help you drip feed this to your team. But I guess the first thing I wanted to talk about was instead of calling it a change, change is a really big and change is a really scary word. So instead of calling it a change, let's call it what it is. It's an update. So it's been 10 years since the Early Years Learning Framework or Belonging, Being, Becoming has been updated. So it was well and truly overdue. And what I think has happened is that it's moved so that it's current in regards to our standards and in regards to our practices within our service. So I guess my opinion overall is that I'm really um, happy to see the additions um, in the framework because it's things that we're doing within our practice every day anyway. So I think it's really good for these to be reflected um, in all of our documentation so we know that it's continually purposeful and meaningful what we're doing, the important work that we're doing every single day. So the first thing is let's talk about the changes in particular. So we'll start at the beginning So with the principles, we've moved from five principles to now eight principles. We've moved from um, eight practices 
to now seven practices. So they were condensed. And then we've got, um, so five learning outcomes. We continue with our five learning outcomes, but there's been a little change to the wording there as well, which I am really big fan of. So if we go continue to go down, let's talk about some of the changes within those set areas. So with the principles, we've seen the addition of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander perspectives, which is something that is so highly regarded in our services anyway. So that's an amazing addition that we now get to demonstrate that within our principles. Um equity, inclusion and high expectations. So that's also been an addition. Sustainability is another addition. Critical reflection and ongoing professional learning. So that's also another addition. And collaborative leadership and teamwork. So these are things that we're already doing in our practice every single day. So there aren't any changes. It's just that this documentation has been updated to meet our current standards and practices. So with our practices, there's been some rewording around those practices. So there's been one that's been combined as well. So we see at the, f- the first one now is holistic, integrated and interconnected approach, approach, approaches. Sorry. Um, the next one is play-based learning and intentionality. So that's been combined and cultural responsiveness and assessment and evaluation for learning, development and well-being. So that's been reworded as well. And then, of course, our learning outcomes, um, our five learning outcomes that we use so beautifully within our practice every single day um, are there as well. So let's specifically dive into some of the changes. Um, So collaborative leadership was something that's featured throughout the document quite heavily. And I'd really encourage you in your service to really critically reflect around what does collaborative leadership mean to you? And we talk a lot in um, previous episodes around leadership and every single person is a leader. So whether you're leading just yourself whether you're leading your family at home, whether you're leading a team in a service, every single person is a leader. And so we really want to talk about what does collaborative leadership mean within your service and your organization. The next one is obviously around play-based learning and intentionality. That's nothing new, but really critically reflect around like what is play? What does that mean to our service? Why is play important? I think that we've got a lost art in our sector. So it's something that we were discussing last week. And it's a, we've got a lost art in our sector that we struggle to be able to explain why what we do is so crucial. And I think that play is one of those things. So how do children learn through play? Are they just playing? Um, They're just, you know, because a lot of families, they don't understand. So whilst we've been doing this for so long, um, all the research, um, all the professional developments that we do around the value and the power of play for children, especially in the early years, families don't have this knowledge. So we need to, um, you need to build up with our teams to have that knowledge to be able to communicate and educate families um, on the value of play. Um, And then of course, cultural competence, cultural responsiveness has also been huge as well. Now I'm just going to go through and just talk about some of the notes that I've made throughout the document. Now in children's learning, I really love, so concepts of resilience, growth mindset and 
multimodal play have been added. So growth mindset is amazing. And so when we talk about health and well-being, growth mindset is one of those mindsets. So we've you know, we've got growth and fixed. So we really want to encourage a growth mindset from an early age. And in order to do that, I feel like we as adults, as teachers, as educators need to develop that growth mindset first and act as an example and a role model for the children. So I'd really encourage services to do a bit of a project with their teams um, around growth mindset and how they can encourage that within their teams so that children are seeing that in practice every single day. So there's a real value being placed on mental health and well-being from a really young age and I think that's crucial to lifelong success. Um, We've talked about obviously the changes with the principles. Um, I've always been a fan and there's um, previous podcast episodes around valuing rituals and routines. So this is the replace secure, respectful and reciprocal relationships. So it was updated to include children's experiences of positive, caring relationships and interactions with educators and their peers and role and the role that plays in healthy brain development. So it's around the importance of rituals and routines. So if you're finding that your room is really chaotic, it is usually because your routine doesn't have those set rituals. Um, Um, around the day. So it doesn't matter what time we're doing things, as long as things are done in the same way each time. Children really respond well when they've got repetition and when they know what is coming up next. So we really want to make that really known. Um, We've seen an introduction to different concepts throughout this document as well. Um, I'm not entirely sure. I'd really like to read the research behind the development of it, um, if there is any. But um, around some of the language, they created new concepts. And I feel like it it very clearly mimics some of the theorists and practices that we already are so familiar with. And I'm a little bit confused why they didn't utilise that language that's so prominent and why they decided to come up with these new terms and new concepts. I feel like that would be my only critique of the of the new documentation is that they've come up, I always call them like hit words, hit topics that they've just sat there and they're like, yes, that's the word. That's what we're going to use. Um, and they've just created these new Um, Yeah, these new hit words in these documents. So one of those for me was like a nest of relationships. So obviously we've got, um, you know, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. We've got Brom from Brenner's. Um, So we already have all of those theorists and all of those perspectives there. So I'm just a little bit unsure of why they decided to utilize that term, nest of relationships, when um, it's not a term that I've heard very highly used in our sector. But of course, it means the same thing. It just means that um, all of the children's different relationships that they have in their life and how they can bring them in context and how these are so important to the child-centered curriculum um, and how we can utilize those culturally safe spaces so under partnerships culturally safe spaces um, and this was really heavily used throughout the document culturally safe culturally safe spaces and so this is definitely one of those things that you want to reflect on what is it in your service how is this presented? How can we do better around this? And also moving into um, 
getting that information. So one of the other um, things that came up is obviously we get information from families. We get what their culture is. We get, um, you know, information about the language they speak, what are their traditions, but perhaps we don't delve deeply enough into understanding the families or each of our families' child rearing practices. And that's something that's mentioned here. So child rearing practices and lifestyle choices of families. So histories, cultures, language, traditions, religion, spiritual beliefs. So my question that I said is how can we find out the intricacies of families' cultural details. So you might already have um, an enrollment form and a context form, all about me form that the ch- that the families fill in about their child. But how can you add to make sure that you're getting all of these, you know, extra things beyond that? And what does child rearing, what child rearing practices would be relevant to understand or know? for us to be able to implement in our service. So there's been some doozies that I've come up with in, you know, my life of being in early childhood. So I remember very early on, um, it was a religious perspective that um, males didn't um, clean the house. They didn't participate in any of the household duties. Um, it was only in this um, culture or religion or perhaps household, perhaps it, it wasn't cultural culture wide um, but in their household the males didn't participate in any of the house sort of keeping responsibilities and so when we had a male um, child so start in our setting um, that was from this household and something that they were used to they didn't participate in tidying up or packing away the space and it was really confronting at the time. This was very early on in my career, I remember. And the the child said, no, no, I don't do that. Um, I don't pack away. My mum packs away. And this was something that the child had never experienced at home. And it really, I remember having conversations with the family and it was that real, really delicate balance between, well, you know, at, at school, it would be really important for them to participate in that experience because it's obviously not fair for the other children. They participated in the experiences as well. Um, and it's part of obviously the, the life in our, in our group environment to be able to do those experiences and be part of the day. But on the flip side, also respect the cultural needs and the values of this family and what this child was experiencing at home. So it took many, many conversations, um, obviously, and it, it was a very strange situation because the mother, when I spoke to the mother, she was very, very open um, to the him participating in this. But then when the when we spoke to the father, he, he was not. So it's like, okay, well, if you've got these two conflicting points of view, how do we get around this? How do we find out what is that safety zone? What is, what is okay? What is not okay? So we ended up bringing them together in the same room because there was no point one saying yes, one saying no. Um, and of course, it's really important when you build relationships for families to be honest and open so we yeah we ended up having a conversation with both of them in the same room and coming to the conclusion that 
you know, it was something that needed to occur at school. So what they did at home was perfectly fine and they were okay that that he participated in that at school. They saw the value in that lifelong learning journey. But it is, it's a journey and it's and some things are non-negotiable, but it's about coming together and really having those conversations to find out what exactly those things are. And it is also something around this topic and around culturally safe that we spoke about in our network group is, you know, what's appropriate and what's not appropriate for us to be educating children around. What conversations should, you know, I guess not a taboo, but are not our role as educators to be getting into with children. So how can you be having those conversations? How can you be asking families? And it doesn't even have to be culturally related. Um, it can literally be um, like we, we spoke a lot in the network group about painting nails. It seems to be one of those things that are just some families are fine, no problem. Other families are like, nope, please don't paint my child's nails. But how can you get the families involved in that decision-making process up front and what do, should we be going to families with to get that authorization or get that permission? So we did talk about, um, you know, being up front with what your service is about. So having um, your philosophy really clear during your tours be really clear um, and also, you know, having signage up that at our service we do X, Y and Z. Um, so like water play, messy play, paint nails, do hair. So if the family had any issues with that, to please raise it, but not only to raise it, but once they do raise it with you, have the conversation around what would you like your children to do during that time? Because I think if we're painting all of children's nails and you have a child come over and say, oh, can you paint my nails? What does the family want you to say to the child? What are they comfortable with you saying to the child during that time? What do they want that to look like? So do they want that to be, look, um, you know, mum and dad have said that they would prefer you not to paint your nails. Okay, is a family okay with that? The next step is like, you know, maybe you could offer an alternative. So maybe instead of a coloured nail polish, you could paint it in the clear nail polish, you know, really talking to the family about what are they comfortable with? What is within their comfort zone? What are they okay with for their child? Um, And I think having those conversations up front, almost like, I almost feel like, and I don't know if some services do this, we sort of did it not to a big extent, but I almost wonder if we need to go to almost like a pre-enrollment interview And of course, you can do this through your orientation. So add this as part of your orientation process to be having those conversations. But I even think that that's too late because they've already enrolled. I think it needs to happen like before they make the decision to enroll to make sure that your practices and your values align because it's it's a it's absolutely so hard to get fair. It's worse and, and more time consuming, more effort, more time to have families that don't match the same values. There's so many different services, so many. So it's really important that you have families that are in line with your values. 
So the other one is around um, e-safety media. So utilizing um, obviously digital technology with children, but having a um, having a place in educating them around the safety of that and the e-safety. Um, and educating families with what that looks like as well. So if they're going to be introducing it, we really want to make sure that that e-safety is there. Um, The new principle around Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander perspectives. So it's about come to understand, acknowledge and celebrate the diversity and richness of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander histories and cultures. So that's already something that is really um, highly valued in services. So nothing new. Um, sustainability. So what I love about this new sustainability principle is that it links with the Australian curriculum. So throughout this documentation, there are also links to the Australian curriculum, which are awesome. Um, We've got a principle renamed, so a clearer definition between reflection and critical reflection. So if you're the ed leader at your service, start here. Start with really reflecting around um, critical reflection and reflection. Um, This is really, really important. Um, So I'd really recommend starting there. And then, um, so effective learning and practices. So reduce from eight to seven, practice renamed, beautiful. Yeah, so I think that coming up, like provide a clearer definition of attuning to and responding to children's strengths, interests, capabilities and curiosity, including responding to children's expertise, cultural traditions and ways of knowing um, spoken through the multiple languages or dialects. And that reminded me of the multiple languages or the hundred languages of children. So really look that up. If that's not something that you've discovered in your service, not only do we have so many different dialects that we speak within the many different beautiful cultures um, around the world, but we also have the hundred languages of children. So really look, if that's not something that you have discovered with your children, um, your team, um, and it's been a little while, bring that back out so that you can um, have a look at that. Um, funds of knowledge was a big thing as well. Uh, multimodal play, physical, social trauma informed, building an intercultural space. So again, that cultural safe environment and how time is used. So physical, temporal, social and intellectual elements in preparing the learning environment. We've got beyond cultural competence to cultural responsiveness. So you want to help guide your team to move beyond that. Um, and I think that's really crucial. So look at how you can do that. So rather than look at look at what and then look at how you can do that and get your whole team involved in that. And a lot of the things are around your community. So families, funds of knowledge and how that strengthens your practice. So um, another one is the children's, oh my gosh, when I read this, I was like something in my brain just ticked and I was like, yes. So it's, there's something in here about the children's role in assessing their own learning. So if you're within a three to five year age group, even sort of the twos as well, you really want to look at how can the children actually assess their own learning? And we've been doing a lot of work with services recently to incorporate goals, like have children develop their own goals, have them displayed, celebrate them. How can the child be involved in that process? And what does that look like? Um, Formative and summative assessments. So what are they? 
Um, and uh, there's been changes around that. The emphasis of the role of the educators, so critical reflections and family feedback to improve aspects of practice. Um, and of course, I get a lot of um, comments around, you know, do we really need to include families' feedback in everything that we do? We can, we don't, but we need to obviously get in family engagement and meaningful engagement from the community and families. So you just be really specific with the questions that you are asking families. Now, in my opinion, quality area four is the hardest area to get that feedback because a lot of services are like, mm, do we really need to um, ask families about our staffing arrangements? Do we need to really include them in hiring new team members? And the answer is no, but the, if you want, obviously, if you want to get exceeding, you need to get that feedback and that meaningful feedback from your community. So it's re- two really simple questions. The first one you can ask is, what do you love about our current team? So what um, values or what attributes do you love about our current team? And that's a really beautiful shout out to share with the team anyway. And the second question that we encourage um, to critically reflect on for the families is what would you like to see in future team members? So we had one service that popped that out just on a whiteboard in their foyer and they literally received feedback that they would love a Mandarin speaking educator. Like that's perfect. So great. That's something that they can look for. Not guaranteed, of course, but that is something that they can highly regard in their next hire. So it's really, really simple. Make sure that when you are asking questions to families, that they are meaningful, purposeful, they're in the language of that the families will understand. So it doesn't have to be in the precise language that we use in all of our documentation, but make sure that you are rewording it so that they understand and it's easy for them to contribute. We want to use assessment strategies to promote the child's voice and contribution um, follow the how they make decisions about the curriculum planning in the moment throughout the day and over time. So key component three. So I've never heard of it described that way. So we we call them like, you know, the learning outcomes, but you know, like the, what do we call You know how then we say like learning outcome one, and then usually we go like 1.1. Well, it's calling them key components. So it's just language of referring to those components under each outcome. So key component three. So it was renamed that children develop knowledgeable, confident self-identities and positive sense of self-worth. So really including that mental well-being, really including that growth mindset and how children can have a unique and positive view of themselves as learners. So that's just really the those key components. Um, So we really, so more tech, environmentally safe, economic, um, it matches the principles for safe online practices. Um, And key components expanded. So one around mental well-being. So that's really important. And of course, which is really amazing, um, it links to the child safe standards. So um, with all of our outcomes now, there's documentation and that it's intertwining all of these legislative documentation that we need to implement with our service. So the Australian curriculum, the links to the child safe standards, they're all really, really clear in this update. And um, 
I'm just moving through the outcomes now. So outcome four, how can we aid in this? What tools can we use to aid this? So researching and investigating, have children driving their own learning, teaching children about how their brain works, developing growth mindset, and it's developing a range of learning and thinking skills. And I remember a quote, it says, anything that we teach children, we're taking the opportunity away from them to learn. So really think about what is your teaching style? If a child asks you a question and you go on that sense of discovery or um, do you answer that? It could be as simple as like, why is the sky blue? And do you answer that question for them to be seen as the knowledge of all knowledge um, and to stand up there and answer that? Or do you actually aid in the research and investigation? Really have it as a hypothesis, an experiment. Like, oh, I wonder if, I wonder what, I wonder why. I love that question. I wonder. Um, So really start with that and go into things um, with a sense of curiosity to learn alongside the children. We don't need to know everything. The beautiful thing about our sector is that we are learning alongside the children and it's our role to do that. Um, I love learning and I feel like we, my philosophy is for myself is that our profession is continually growing, continually learning, continually continually updating. It's important for us to keep growing on our knowledge and our perspectives so that when um, we can aid children in that process along the way as well. So how can you explore that? When you are, when I feel like for me, my indicator is if I ever stop wanting to grow and learn, that's it for me. Like I'm out. I think that our sector, you have to, you have to keep wanting to grow, wanting to learn, wanting to be the best that you can be for all of the amazing little humans that are around us every single day. So how can you encourage a growth mindset in the tri- in children? How can you encourage researching and investigation and what tools can you use to explore that with the children? And also I've made a note here, it's like start with yourself. So start with yourself first, um, really check in on what you believe the role of an educator is within your service or w- your role, what is your role in your service and ask that question and really explore it and think about how you can enhance that as well. Um, Tech, so how do children have access to technology? What have you implemented about using technology like safely? Um, And then of course, we've got all these new concepts, right? So in the back of the document, oh, just as a side note, (laughs) this is quite funny. I don't, don't be worried if you download the EYLF 2.0, the cover has changed. So it's not, there haven't been more changes because I know a lot of people have been talking about goodness gracious, how many times is this going to change? This is it. It's been approved. It's been published. So, um, but they have changed the artwork and the coloring in the cover. Um, I don't know if this is facts, but rumor has it that um, it was around the cultural implementation um, of some of the artworks. They did try to implement Indigenous um, perspectives and artwork throughout the document, but um, there, uh, rumor has it that there were a lot of questions around um, the, the efficacy of that, that where it came from, um, who did it, so and the ownership. So um, apparently it's been taken out for that reason. 
I am not 100% sure though. Um, But yes, apparently that's. But don't freak out. It's still the same document. Everything in there is still the same. So when we look at in the back of that document, when you download it, it's got that glossary of terms. So we get asked a lot now, how how would you recommend we implement this with our team? And I would recommend that you go through it um, part by part, look at it in comparison to the new versus the old, and actually go through and look at those changes, um, updates, I should say, look at those updates, um, and already talk about how they apply in your practice now. But one of the first things you can do is start talking about the new language. So you've got a whole 12 months. So this is not something that you need to implement immediately. There is no rush. So really outline a clear plan and a clear timeline with how you want to actually implement this over the next, you know, until December, over the next, what are we in February? So over the next um, 10 months, um, it is, it will be, um, it will be compulsory from January next year. So we really want to make sure that um, we are starting now and we're going through. So the first thing you can do is go over these new terminology, go over these new concepts. Um, We've shared some of these already that I feel are new. Um, So you can check that out on our Facebook page. But um, go through these concepts, talk about the definition and talk about how they already apply in your practice. None of these things are new. They're just new words that we've not heard before. So it's really just utilizing that language within our practice and starting to look at how we have already been implementing this in our practice anyway. Um, The other thing is, um, yeah, just map it out. Start now, really map it out um, in your service and um, just get people using you used to speaking in these new terms and speaking in this new, um, new language. So um, that is really brief for me today, but I really just wanted to go over those key terms. I'm really excited about growth mindsets. Um, It's one of the things I'm super excited about seeing in addition. Um, Technology really being part of that inquiry-based project and investigating with the children. Um, And of course, the other one is, um, for me, the mental health and well-being of the children. But to also see that it is linking with other legislative documentation and that it's not a standalone document and have fun with it. Really look at it. I'll pop these slides um, that we used in our network meeting just to talk about it. Just really, it's literally how many? Six slides just to talk about the and just to really articulate the changes so that people in your team can... Um, can see those um, changes coming into into effect. So that's a wrap for me on today's episode of Everything Early Childhood. We hope you enjoyed hearing um, from me this week on the upcoming changes to the Early Years Learning Framework 2.0. And remember, if you have any questions or comments, please reach out to us on social media um, or via email. I love that you're all out there listening. So thank you all for your time and listening today. And until next time, keep making every moment count and I will see you soon. Thanks for listening to the Everything Early Childhood podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media or leave a rating and review. We read them all. (laughs) To catch all the latest from me, your host, Lisa Brown, you can follow me on Facebook and Instagram at Lisa Brown underscore Platinum Ed. Thanks again for listening. 
keep making every moment count and I'll see you next time. Bye.